Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Merry Christmas. I guess people will come out on December 23rd for a Christmas Eve service. We are glad you're here tonight, especially if you're here for the very first time. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here at New Life, and we started New Life 15 and a half years ago. For people who maybe had given up on church or maybe people never tried church, uh, we wanted to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time, and we've been doing that uh, now for a decade and a half, and we're going to continue to do that as long as we can until Jesus returns. So uh, we're glad you're here as we celebrate Jesus' birth. And I have a question for you to start off the evening. And that question is, when was the last time you needed a second chance? And I'm not talking about, you know, a mulligan like you're at a golf game and you tee off and it goes off in the weeds and you need to get a second chance. I'm talking about a time when you did something so bad that it felt like, you know, you had squeezed out too much toothpaste out of the tube and you knew you were never going to get it back in, and it was a serious kind of thing with consequences, and you needed a second chance. I have a friend who used to say, every sin is a mistake, but not every mistake is a sin. We all make mistakes in our life, but I'm talking about the second chance for the sin kind of mistake, a serious sin. Now, not that there's any such thing as a, as a not serious sin, because every sin breaks our relationship with God, but I'm talking about what if... You just have treated people like they didn't matter at all. What if you've been living your life only for you? You're the most self-centered, selfish person on the block. And you know that that's not the way to live. But you, and you know that you need a second chance, but you just don't know how to start over again. And we're going to talk about a guy tonight who had that very kind of life. I mean, he, he's, his name is actually synonymous with greed and selfishness. And we're doing this series called, you know, Christmas at the Movies, and this is the conclusion tonight, and some of you are already realizing who I'm talking about, Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge, the star and central character of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. We're going to look at a couple clips about uh, Ebenezer. First, we're going to find out how bad of a person he really was in the first clip. And I need to tell you, before we move to that clip, we're using the Muppets version of the Christmas Carol. So uh, Charles Dickens is going to show up, do a little narration, but he's going to look a little funny. Um, if you don't know the Sesame Street character, or the Muppet character, sorry, Muppet characters, um, it's uh, Gonzo and uh, Rizzo are going to be doing a little bit of narration to let us know some background. Uh, but let's watch and see this guy... Um, who, who really needs a second chance. Let us deal with the eviction notices for tomorrow, Mr. Cratchit. Uh, tomorrow's Christmas, sir. Very well. You may gift wrap them. Let us help you with that, Mr. Cratchit. Oh, my, there are certainly a lot today. Okay, okay. There you go. Look out on it in. Look out. Come on, guys. Christmas is a very busy time for us, Mr. Cratchit. People preparing feasts, giving parties, spending the mortgage money on frivolities. One might say that December is the foreclosure season. Harvest time for the moneylenders. It was at 
If you please, Mr. Scrooge, it's gotten colder. Yeah. Any bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal for the fire? We can't do the bookkeeping. Yeah, all of our pens have turned to inkicles. Yeah, our assets are frozen. How would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly... Once again, Mr. Scrooge. <laughs> at that moment, who should arrive at the door but Scrooge's nephew Fred, his only living relative? Nephew Fred? I don't see him. Trust me. Hmm. Hello? Oh, Uncle? So? You're very good at that, Mr. Dickens. A Merry Christmas, Uncle Scrooge. God save you. Merry Christmas. Uh -oh. <laughs> Humbug. Quick, it'll be warmer in there. Christmas or humbug, Uncle? Oh, you don't mean that, surely. Actually, I think it's colder in here. Merry Christmas, you say. What right of you to be merry? You're poor enough. What right of you to be dismal? You're rich enough. He's got him there, the old boy's speechless. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips would be cooked with his own turkey mm. and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Well, not quite speechless. Mm. Oh, I'm cool. Nephew, you keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Christmas is a loving, honest and charitable time. And though it's never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that Christmas has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. Yes. Yes. And how does one celebrate Christmas on the other Now, in these times, it was customary on Christmas Eve for well-meaning gentlemen to call upon businesses collecting donations for the poor and homeless. <gasps> Mr. Scrooge, I presume? Who are you? We're from the Order of Victoria Charity Foundation. We'd like to speak to you about a donation. Ah, welcome. This jolly old gentleman here is Mr. Scrooge. He's very generous to charities. My dear nephew. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, many of us feel that we must take care of our poor and homeless. Are there no prisons, no poorhouses? Oh, plenty of those, sir. Oh, excellent. For a moment, I was worried. Some of us are endeavoring to raise a fund for the poor and the homeless. What might I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to remain anonymous? I wish to be left alone. I do not make merry myself for Christmas. That certainly is true. And I cannot afford to make idle people merry. That is certainly not true. Don't you have other things to do this afternoon, my dear nephew? Sadly, I do, Uncle. So I shall make my donation and uh, leave you to make yours. Oh, thank you so very much. Oh, Uncle, come and have Christmas dinner with me and Clara tomorrow. Why ever did you get married? Why? Because I fell in love. <laughs> That's the only thing in the world sillier than a Merry Christmas. It's no use, Uncle. I shall keep my Christmas humor to the last. A Merry Christmas to you and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, Fred. Merry Christmas, Bob. I'm back. Then, sir, about the uh, donation? Well, now, let's see. 
I know how to treat the poor. My taxes go to pay for the prisons and the poor houses. The homeless must go there. But some would rather die. If they'd rather die, then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, dear. This is the door. You may use it. Oh, all right, Beaker, come along. I think we've taken enough of Mr. Scrooge's time. Oh, dear, dear, dear. I've ever met anybody meaner than that, anybody who cared less about love or Christmas or being generous or humanity in general. If anybody ever needed a second chance, it was Mr. Scrooge. Now, I know he's a fictional character, but I, I'm afraid there's a little bit of Scrooge in all of us. Sometimes all of us are a little selfish, hopefully not that selfish, a little greedy, hopefully not that greedy, but we all need a second chance. The Apostle Paul made it very clear when he wrote these words to us in uh, the letter to the Romans. He said, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to turn to the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to talk about why it is that Christmas is all about second chances. Before we do that, though, let's look at our take-home point. If you're a guest tonight for the first time, we seek to make one point in our messages every week, uh, and tonight's point is simply this. That we all need second chances, and God's clearest second chance is Jesus. So we're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, as I said. If you brought your Bible tonight, you want to follow along. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to see uh, the second chance that God gave us by sending His one and only Son, Jesus, to the earth. But before we do that, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank You so much for the greatest gift of all, the gift of Your Son, Jesus. We thank You that... Although all of us do fall short of your standard, you have made it possible for us to uh, come into your presence, to be in in a relationship with you by coming in the man Jesus Christ. Tonight, as we celebrate his birth, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might hear your good news and that we might take it into our hearts and that whatever part of us is broken, whatever part of us needs a second chance tonight, that we will experience that chance anew and that we might go out of here filled with your love, with your goodness, and with your joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since we're starting in verse 8, let me fill you in with a little bit of background. It starts off in chapter 2 telling us that Mary and Joseph had traveled to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the city of David. That means David, the great king of Israel, was born there. And uh, Mary and Joseph were traveling there, even though Mary was nine months pregnant. And it was a difficult journey. The reason they went was because the Emperor Augustus had declared a census of the entire Roman world. And everybody in Israel had to go to the hometown of their ancestor. And since uh, Joseph was a descendant of King David, they had to go to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was overcrowded as they entered it. But it was a 70-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And when we hear 70-mile journey, we go, well, that's no big deal. A little bit more than an hour, right? If you have a car. But if you don't have anything but a donkey or maybe your feet... 
Very difficult journey indeed. And so they entered Bethlehem, and the city was overcrowded with people for the census, and so there was no place to stay. In fact, even though Mary was about to have her baby, uh, they could only find a stable. And when she had the baby, uh, she had to put him in a manger, a feeding trough. It was the best place available. And here's what was happening outside of Bethlehem at that very moment. We find this in verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. So a shepherd's job is 24-7, at least it was back in those days, because shepherds always need protection, they always need feeding, they always need guidance. And so whether it's night or day, whether it's summer, winter, whatever time of year, the shepherds were on duty. And it says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Now, one of the things that I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this if you're a Bible reader, is that every time in the biblical record when an angel shows up, people are terrified. They're filled with great fear. In fact, the Greek word in this phrase is megaphobos. You know, mega means a lot, and phobos is fear, phobia. And so they were terrified. I don't know what it is about angels. I've never seen one. So I don't know if they're scary looking. I don't know if they're just huge. Or maybe it's just the shock of there's nothing and then there's something. But whatever it was... You know, an angel's first words are almost always, don't be afraid, because they're scary creatures. And in fact, the next thing it says is the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. There it is. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The Israelites had been awaiting a Messiah for hundreds of years. Actually, since 597 B.C., when uh, Israel, the southern kingdom of Israel, had fallen to Babylon, one foreign nation after another had ruled the Israelites. And the prophets had promised that God was going to send a Messiah. It literally means an anointed one, a descendant of David, who would deliver them and give them, I guess you would say, a second chance. And they thought this second chance was going to be a political second chance that Israel would once again be reestablished as the greatest nation on the planet. But when Jesus came the first time, when he grew up to be a perfect man, he died on the cross outside of Jerusalem to pay the penalty for human sin and give all of us the ultimate second chance so that we could be new people. In fact, Jesus called it being born again. And so the next thing the angel says is this. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, we have heard this saying so many times that the baby would be lying in a manger, a feeding trough, that we go, oh, yeah, Jesus was born in a manger. But can you imagine if you're a shepherd and you've been waiting for the Messiah just as long as everybody else has all your life, you've been waiting for somebody, the Messiah to come, and you're thinking that he's the descendant of David. So when they say, the angel says, here's the sign, you're going to find a baby in a feeding trough. They probably went, what? Would you say that again? A feeding trough? This is the king of kings and lord of lords? Shouldn't he be born in the palace in Jerusalem? Shouldn't he at least be born in a bed, in a feeding trough? And then the idea, the idea that God would come as a humble baby. Maybe it hit the shepherds, or maybe it didn't, but it's sure a sign of second chances, isn't it? The first second chance is that God appeared to or the angels appeared to say that God was going to deliver Israel. The second second chance, I think, is that he appeared to shepherds. If you're going to make a, a point that your second chance is for everybody, 
You don't appear to, you know, the high priest in Jerusalem or the king. You appear to somebody more common. And there was no one more common than a shepherd in the, in the nation of Israel. In fact, the shepherds, because of their duties, were often considered ceremonially unclean. They weren't even allowed to go to the synagogue or temple to worship much of the time. And they weren't allowed to give testimony in a court of law, which actually, if you want somebody to be a witness to the birth of the Messiah, if you're God and you send an angel, it doesn't really make sense that you'd send him to shepherds unless you were telling everybody that this Messiah isn't just for the good people, isn't just for the, the, the noble people, isn't just for the beautiful people, but for everyone. And being born in such humble circumstances certainly said that the Messiah was for everybody. And then we read, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. What an amazing announcement. Imagine how terrified these shepherds must have been. If one angel terrified them, what would a whole army of angels do? And the first thing the angels did was give glory to God. God is the only being in the universe who deserves glory because he created everything else and everything ought to give him glory and praise. And these angels just came from the very presence of God. So they glorified God, but then they gave us an idea that another second chance is coming because it said, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Every person, at least every normal person, wants peace in the world. There are always those people who would rather have chaos, would rather have turmoil, would rather have war, but most of us would rather have peace. And, and we know that peace isn't just an absence of war or chaos or turmoil, but peace is a sense of well-being, that everything is well, even when things around us are not well. And the angels promised that God was bringing that peace to restore to all of us the, the kind of sense that we all desire on our best days, and certainly to restore the relationship that had been broken, not by God, but by us through our sin. And then it says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I've always loved that statement. Because it says, not, let's think about this. Let's think about this amazing thing. I mean, nothing like this has ever happened. Imagine you're one of those shepherds and you have just seen not just one angel, but an army of angels and they've announced that the Messiah is born. You could have basked in the afterglow of that for the rest of the night or you could have argued and debated about what the significance was that God had appeared to you, the angels had appeared to you. Or, or maybe you could have said, what was in the stew tonight? You know, I mean, that, that has to be, that couldn't, that didn't really happen. But instead of any of those things, they said, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that God has told us about. You see, we, we have a sense, I have a sense anyway, that these shepherds knew they needed a second chance and God was giving it directly to them. So they wanted to go see the Messiah for themselves. And it says, they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds had told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. So they told everyone. Who was everyone? Well, it's the middle of the night. We know that. And so everybody was probably asleep. So they told everyone they could wake up. They would probably run through the streets shouting, this Messiah has been born, the Messiah has been born, knocking on every door of every house and the local inn, which had no room for Mary and Joseph, but certainly was filled to capacity with other people. And everybody who heard the news, it says next, was astonished. 
astonished. Why were they astonished? Well, maybe it was because shepherds were telling them the Messiah had come. Maybe it was because shepherds were saying they had seen angels. Maybe it was because the shepherds were saying that the Messiah was born in a feeding trough. Maybe it was all of those things. But whatever it was, the people who woke up that night, imagine being one of them. You're in the middle of a good night of sleep, and all of a sudden a shepherd pounds on your door and says, the Messiah is right here in Bethlehem. And they were all amazed. And it seems like the only person in Bethlehem that night who stayed calm was Mary. Look what it says. It says, But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Mary would soon enough find what the weight it was to be the mother of the Messiah. But that night we're told that she pondered all these things. And I bet as the shepherds told her and Joseph that they had seen an angel, actually a bunch of angels, Mary probably went back to that moment nine months earlier when an angel had appeared to her and told her that she would be the mother of the Son of God. And then we're told the shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. It was just as the angel had told them. It wasn't any less. It wasn't any more. It was just exactly the way they expected it. And here we are 2,000 years later, plus or minus, And we're thinking about the very same thing that the shepherds thought about. Now, we don't have that eyewitness experience, but we've heard about it. And I'll bet you most of us have heard this account over and over and over again. I know I've, I was just saying to Nancy, this is the 33rd year that I've preached a Christmas Eve message. And I know I've probably heard a lot more than that. But in any case, we've heard this account over and over. And every every time it's the same, God shows up in the form of a human baby And it's not in a palace in Jerusalem. And it's not with pomp and circumstance. It's in a stable in the town of Bethlehem. And the only ones who know are the people that a bunch of shepherds could wake up in the middle of the night. But now the whole world knows. The whole world knows that God came to give us a second chance. And whatever second chance we need, maybe we've committed such a big sin we don't think God will give us a second chance. But the good news is God will give everyone a second chance. No matter how big, no matter how little our sins may be to us, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, didn't stay a baby. No baby does. He grew up. He became a perfect man. He never sinned. And that's a very important detail about Jesus because since he never sinned, he could die in our place. He could be the one who atoned or put us at one with God for our sin. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead to show the power of his life in our lives. So let's return to Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer's had a busy Christmas Eve night. He's in a cemetery when we see him this time and he's being visited by a third ghost or spirit. The first was the the spirit of Christmas past and the spirit of Christmas present. And now he's at the uh, in, in in conversation with the spirit, although the spirit of Christmas yet to come doesn't say a word. But the reason that they came was to show Ebenezer Scrooge that far from a good life, far from the kind of life that Ebenezer thought he was living, you know, a life that was should be praised, that, that if If Ebenezer died that night, nobody would be upset. In fact, there would be people who celebrated that Ebenezer Scrooge died. Can you imagine living a kind of life so that if you died or when you died, people would celebrate? 
And Ebenezer, he's figured this out from the, the first two visits, that his life hasn't been what he thought it was, and he knows now he needs a second chance. And look what he says to the ghost of Christmas yet to come. we return to this place? There's something else that I must know. Is that not true? Spirit, I know what I must ask. I fear to, but I must. Who was the wretched man whose death brought so much glee and happiness to others? Answer me one more question. Are these the shadows of things that will be, or are they the shadows of things that may be only? These events can be changed. if I was past all hope. <laughs> I, I will honor Christmas and try to keep it all the year. I will live my life in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons the spirits have taught me. Tell me that I may sponge out the writing on this stone. <laughs> oh, spirit, please speak to me. <laughs> his own. The room was his own. Hi, guys. We're back. We mm. promised we would be. But the thing that made Scrooge happiest of all was that his life lay before him, and it could be changed. The thing that made Scrooge happiest of all was that his life lay before him, and it could be changed. He got a second chance. In fact, that's the Good news, that's the, the best, most fantastic news that Christmas brings. That doesn't matter what we have been. It doesn't matter what we are right now. What matters is what we allow God to do with our lives from this point forward. 
And Ebenezer Scrooge's life changed. If you watch the rest, or you probably know the rest of this story, Ebenezer Scrooge's life changed drastically. From the stingiest man in town, he became the most generous man in town. From being the person who didn't love anybody, he became the one who loved everybody. The second chance that Ebenezer Scrooge received that night transformed his life for the rest of his life. And and I would encourage any of you in the room tonight who have never known that kind of transformation, you've never received your second chance from Jesus, why not make it tonight? Why not simply ask Jesus to become Lord and Savior of your life? And the word Lord means owner. So, I mean, you're giving up ownership of your life to him. But Savior means that he saves you from sin and death now and forever. There may indeed be consequences for the deeds we've done up to this point in our lives. But whatever we have done to this point, whatever we need to have changed, it can change for eternity starting with right now. And all we have to do, the Bible calls it repent, which means to turn away from our sin and turn back to God and let him come in and take over in the, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have done that, maybe, maybe you've already received your second chance in that way, but you haven't been living wholeheartedly for him. Maybe you haven't even been living half-heartedly for him. Tonight is an opportunity for another second chance because God doesn't just give us one second chance. I mean, however high the numbers go, that's how many second chances he will give us. And so tonight might be a time when each of us needs to recommit our life to living Christmas throughout the year, to living a life of Jesus Christ throughout the year, and doing what we know in our hearts is right in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Christmas is all about, and that's why Christmas is about second chances. So how do we know? How do we really know? that our lives have been changed, that we have been saved, the Bible uses it, or born again, Jesus used that term. How do we know when that has happened in our life? Well, it's pretty simple. We know when we start to give second chances to other people. That's what Ebenezer Scrooge did. Ebenezer Scrooge gave second chances to so many people because he had been given the ultimate second chance, the opportunity to continue to live and to make, make a meaningful life out of a miserly life. So that's the commitment for tonight. It's simply this. I will offer others second chances because Jesus has offered me so many. As we go out into a dark night, we're going to awaken not tomorrow to Christmas, but the next day to Christmas. It doesn't really matter which day we celebrate Christmas because as Ebenezer Scrooge learned, Christmas is to be kept throughout the year because the birth of Jesus changes every day. For the rest of our lives. And it may be that you need to, you know, restore a relationship with a brother, with a cousin, with an uncle, with somebody that you haven't talked to for a long time, maybe a friend and you have had a, you know, broken relationship and you need to call them up and you need to initiate the change. You've been waiting for them to say that they're sorry. Maybe you're the one that needs to take the first step. Maybe on Christmas Day you need to welcome somebody into your home. Maybe it's something that only, only you and God know. And, and he will reveal that to you as you let his spirit work in your life because God is a God of second chances. If you think about the four weeks of this series, what we said is that, you know, Jesus is a part of everybody's story and we're part of Jesus' story. And we, we talked about the reality that Christmas is all about having God transform us from the inside out. We talked about the reality that miracles still happen. And you might be thinking right now, it would be a miracle if God would forgive me. Yes, that is a miracle. 
but he has already done it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus already forgave you. And then tonight we find out that we can get a second chance. If we need a second chance, God has already given it to us. Once again, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was born, grew up and lived that perfect life and died and rose again to demonstrate who he really is, the God of the universe, the God of second chances. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you so much for your presence in our lives. I thank you so much for this Christmas season when we remember that you entered our world because you wanted to restore the relationship that we had broken between you and us. God, we thank you for that reality that Jesus became flesh so that one day we can spend eternity with you. But for right now, we can have lives of meaning and purpose, of generosity and gratitude and joy, of love and peace. God, we thank you for that reality. And tonight I pray for anyone who in this evening, just as I challenged uh, every person in the room, if they had never trusted Jesus, to say yes to him. And maybe tonight, for those who have, God, I pray that you would give them the assurance of your presence and your blessing. For those of us who have made that commitment to you, God, and, and maybe we haven't really been living up to the, the commitment, I pray that you would give us another second chance in the power of your Holy Spirit, that in this Christmas season and in this Christmas morning coming up in a couple of days when we wake up, we might realize that you love us, period. Not when we are good, not when we do what you want, but you, you simply love us and you have shown us that great love by sending your son Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen. This time I would